Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast, a series of interviews with inspiring health professionals who want to make a genuine difference to their world. This being their clients, their staff, their team members, their family, all whilst contributing to the ever-growing body of knowledge that is clinical care. I'm your host, Jo Muirhead. I'm a rehabilitation counsellor by qualification. However, I am passionate about private practice. I believe that if we truly want to see the changes to healthcare that we all say we want, then private practice holds the answer. I've created this interview series as an additional resource for my book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, a book designed to help the modern, savvy and thoughtful health professional think about what it means to be both a clinician and an entrepreneur. My guest today is Mari A. Lee. Mari has been a successful businesswoman and entrepreneur for over 30 years. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor, and a respected and trusted business coach for therapists in private practice all across the US and abroad. Mari is recognised for her clinical work with sex addicts and partners and spouses of sexually compulsive people and is the founder of Growth Counselling, a private therapy practice located in Glendora, California. Along with her clinical and coaching work, Mari is also the author of the best-selling book, Facing Heartbreak, Steps to Recovery for Partners of Sex Addicts. She is the author of Healing, Betrayal, and The Creative Clinician, Exercises and Activities for Clients and Group Therapy, and a contributing author to Behavioural Addictions, Criteria, Evidence, and Treatment. Her next book, The Gift in the Wound, Stories of Resiliency and Hope, will be out in 2019. Mari is also a popular speaker and presents across the US on topics such as women and business, sex and love, addiction, partners' betrayal trauma, and on top of all of this, she is the co-founder of the Shine Retreat for Women in Laguna Beach, California. Welcome, Mari. I'm so glad to have you here, and I'm completely intimidated by your bio. (laughs) I'm listening to that long list, and I'm thinking, well, who did all of that stuff, and did I have time to do it, though? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for that lovely and warm and long introduction, and I am so happy to be here with you. I know that we go back a few years, and it just feels like, a, you know, so great to be able to have this time with you. So I'm, I'm quite honored. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I'm so honored that you agreed to be a part of this podcast. I've, um, I've watched you from afar and I know we've met a couple of times and I have tremendous respect for not only what you do, which I think is incredible, the, the client populations that you serve, but also the way you do what you do. And one of the reasons I've wanted you to be a part of this, this book and this project with me was so that people could understand the strength that comes from holding firm to your boundaries, but also to professionalism and, and ethics. But I don't want this interview to be dry and boring and about professionalism <laughs> and ethics. <laughs> I just wanted people to understand my, <laughs> my, my uh, honour of you. Oh, well, I I think the two of us together, it's going to be anything but boring. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, we have that effect on people. I agree. (laughs) So one of the things that's always interested me and intrigued me about you, Mari, is that you you came to being a a therapist, a a clinician, somewhere along your journey. You've, Mm -hmm. You've been an entrepreneur and a businesswoman for over 30 years, but that hasn't always been in a helping profession. So I'm curious, could you share with us Um, your background and and what you've done in terms of work and career in the past, please. 
Oh, absolutely. Great question. I'd be happy to. So, well, it kind of, um, yes. So I have been an entrepreneur. I think that I, I was born with that DNA, Joe. I remember <laughs> taking, well, you know, some of my story, I grew up partially in foster care and, you know, uh, then was adopted and wasn't a lot of money on the table, but I would do little things like decorate seashells and turn them into little ornaments and try and sell them or take recycled bottles and try and sell those, um, you know, when I was a kid. And then I, I picked strawberries in the strawberry fields. And yeah, let me tell you, that is hard work and you know really hard work uh, you know like many of us babysat and I would make little flyers and you know for for cutting the grass or walking dogs and uh, you know all kinds of things like that when I was a kid so I think just from an early age I really understood the value of a dollar and I understood how to budget that because well I had to and um, had to, you know, a lot of, by and large, pay for my own school books and clothing and all of that when I was really quite young, you know. So mm -hmm. if I wanted to have, you know, um, some kind of cute, you know, outfit to wear to, to school, then I had to make the money to be able to get that. Or if I wanted something extra like a candy bar or go see a movie, then I had to figure out a way of making that money and then budgeting that money so it would last me. So I appreciate that. I maybe, and I guess because I didn't really know there was a different way of doing things that I didn't resent it. I just understood that you know, you, you have to work and you have to do a good job at your work and you have your words and behaviors have to match and then people will pay you and then people will refer other moms who need trustworthy babysitters, right? Or other people who need trustworthy pet sitters and etc. And that felt like a really fair and good payoff to my little entrepreneurial spirit. And then I was on my own, you know, at 16 years old and and thought to myself, well, here I am. I need to. Um, I need to figure out a trade for myself. What am I going to do, right? So I worked in fast food restaurants, and I worked ironing wedding dresses. And to me, I call that the seventh level of hell. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, 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 I have worked in careers my entire career life, and I've never met anyone who has ironed wedding dresses for money. That's oh, that's and yeah. the, 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 wow. the that was in the seventies. So you know, those oh lord, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, oh good gag, lord, worthy. Yes, yes, lots and lots and lots of of poof. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so that was not a favorite job. But all of those things led me into figuring out. Okay, I do love hair. I do love makeup. I do love fashion. So what could I do, and how can I get this done and um and I started going to hair school and so that was my very oh. first profession and I went to hair school I call it the year of the uniforms so uh meaning that you you have a little white uniform here in the U.S. where you go to cosmetology school and you, it looks like a little nurse's uniform and then at night I would put on my brown uniform to go to a place here at, called Kentucky Fried Chicken where you wear brown uniforms oh. and then serve up chicken so I would get off get out of school at five o'clock it was eight to five get on the bus go to Kentucky for fried chicken and then work in my brown uniform till midnight then I'd walk down to my little studio apartment with my doll head you know that I'm, I have to do my hairdos on my little suitcase full of rollers and I'd go home and peel off the uniform I had a couple of rescue kitties I love animals and I'd give them Kentucky fried chicken and oh. 
that was my year, the year of the uniform. I would do that every day. And at the end of that, then I took the board exam and I passed and I had a trade and I could figure out how to make that work. So from there, um, I, I did my internships and I, you know, gained skill and advanced myself as a hairstylist and makeup artist and won a couple of little awards along the way and then quickly realized, you know what, I don't, I don't want to work for somebody else. This isn't making any sense to me. I've been working my whole life at this point. I'm in my early 20s and I had enough work savvy under my belt mm -hmm. to know that this doesn't make any sense to me. And I think you'll appreciate this, Joe, because I, one of the things that I love and admire and respect about you is you um, are an out-of-the-box thinker. In fact, you don't really think about the box like me, right? I, I think I posted, you, you gave me a little laughing emoticon today on the Facebook on that. I ordered some lavender. You saw that from my new office. And it's such a cute marketing thing. On the top of the lavender bag, it says, whatever you do, don't look at the bottom of the bag. So of course, you know, I'm going to bite. And I look at the bottom of the bag and it says, you're quite the rule breaker, aren't you? We dig that. And I just yeah. loved that. I thought, well, they know me somehow. But but that that was it and i thought to myself this doesn't it just doesn't make any sense so um i began to look for a niche that wasn't being filled and one thing that i noticed joe was by this time it was gosh it was the early 80s so you know big hair and all of that you think about miami vice and don johnson all that silly stuff for the younger listeners i know this is like when dinosaurs walk the earth so bear with us as joe and i reminisce about yes, days gone by but it was you know the 80s were quite the time for hair and big everything big everything so big shoulder pegs big hair big bangs big perms the whole nine and so what I thought that was really interesting is, wouldn't it be cool if I could go into these corporate buildings like in downtown LA and Newport Beach and go into these high rises and offer cuts, you know, hairstylists and, and cuts and makeup to the um, executives, maybe before they go into court or just to save them a trip out or whatever it is. Or if, you know, it's like a female attorney and she needs a little help zhuzhing up for a date because they're, you know, why not do something like that? So at the time I was dating an attorney and he said, that's not a bad idea. You know, you ought to give it a go and you can start in our building. And so I created a business called California Cuts. And I look back on it now and I just crack up at our outfits that we would wear. We would wear red shorts and white t-shirts that had our logo and our hair like up in this big curly side ponytail with a red bow. I, I mean, so dumb, right? And these high top tennis shoes that had red shoelaces. I thought, I mean, we all thought we were adorable but I just running around all the suits you know doing like the haircutting and everything but it was a great business and I made a nice little you know a nice little bit of money doing that and then I sold that and and um, worked for a salon decided to go back to school because I decided that I wanted to learn this new fangled thing called the Macintosh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like maybe 24 years old and I'm thinking I've had, I've had enough of the hair business. I've been doing this for six, five, six years now. I want to do something else. I want to expand my horizons. What do I need to do? So I went back to college, you know, I, well, I went to college actually, took some night classes, worked in a hair salon, got that under my belt. And, um, and also thought maybe I would go to law school, you know, because I had spent so much time in that 
arena. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let me, let me work for a law firm for a period of time and see if it's something that I would really enjoy. So I was a receptionist at a law firm, didn't like it, glad I didn't go down that road. Um, but one of the ladies said, you know, Mari, you're really creative and you should be doing more than what you're doing here. And I said, well, yeah, that's the, that's the goal. I'm finishing up school. And she said, I want you to write down your sort of your dream job, your dream salary, what you want to do, and just see what that looks like. So that's the first time I had ever done that. I suppose we could call that a little bit like a vision board, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. yes. Back before that was even part of our vernacular, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I wrote down, you know, my salary, where I wanted to work, the time I wanted off. And two weeks later, there was my job. And seven interviews later, ending up in the CEO's office saying, why are we hiring you? You're a former hairstylist. You don't know how to turn on a computer. You, you, you basically are just learning how to work a Macintosh and you're, and you are interviewing for a graphic design position for one of the largest financial investment firms to run the department. Why would we be hiring you? And I said, well, here's the thing. And his name was Kurt Livingston, kind of a bastard to be honest with you. But anyway, Perfect. Yeah, but he was, you know, he, I, I learned what I needed to learn, right? And so I said, well, here's the thing, Kurt. I said, I'll tell you what, if, why don't you give me an opportunity for three months? And if at the end of three months, I haven't fulfilled your expectations, no harm, no foul. I will leave, you can find somebody else, and it will be just part of my learning curve. And he said, okay, well, I'm gonna take you up on that. So I did, knocked his socks off, worked there for several years, and then um, got tired of corporate America, opened up and went back to school, got into interior design, did that for many years, and had a business uh, that I loved called Eden uh, Design and Interiors, loved doing that, and then had an opportunity, Joe, to, go into, um, I, I was called by a, a, a firm and they asked me if I would like to come in and work as an executive um, man, account manager for several rescue missions, um, homeless rescue missions in the Southeast. And I thought, wow, you know what, after helping wealthy housewives pick out drapes for the last eight years, that sounds really good to me. I'm all about that. I like the idea of traveling. I like the idea of being in corporate America. Again, it's been a number of years. Why not? Let me do that. So I worked for that company for a little less than three years. Um, by now, I'm in my late 30s, and, and, um, and I did. And, I, and I, the, the corporation itself was a little wonky. It was yeah, it was an interesting place. A lot of sharky women, but, but, but I loved my clients. Uh, who were the executive directors, and I had all of the southern, southeast of the United States show. So I had mm -hmm. uh, Huntsville and Nashville and Jacksonville, Florida, and you know all these areas in the south, and I didn't know that area too well um, of our country. So I really got to know that area. I fell in love with the people who were moving through the program. These were individuals who were veterans who were mentally ill, women coming out of prostitution, children mm -hmm. who were drug addicted because, you know, their mothers had been drug addicted, um, homeless women and children, um, women, you know, surviving domestic uh, violence, um, mentally ill schizophrenics. I mean, just you name it. 
And I absolutely love, that was my favorite part of the job. I managed big budgets there. I managed a team of people. But my job was to go in and do what was called gathering resource. So I would sit down with the Johns and the Janes of these programs, these sweet, lovely souls trying to get their life back on track. And learn their story and then go back to a team of writers and write advertising and fundraising for that mission um, to help these people. And I loved it. And I stayed in touch and I would follow their stories and they really liked me. And more and more I began to hear from the executive directors, Mari, we really think you have a calling to, to be a therapist. You should really think about going to school going to grad school and getting your master's degree in psychology and maybe even your PhD in psychology, right? So that you can do this work because it really seems like you're a natural and our clients love you and they respond to you in ways that they haven't responded to other executive directors. And I thought about it and I thought, gosh, isn't that interesting? At, at, at the time, Joe, it, suddenly something clicked for me, right? In, mm. in my entrepreneurial brain but more so sort of like connecting my work with my soul mm. you know that kind of calling there mm. and I thought this just makes sense I'm a woman of faith so I prayed about it and I thought okay you know what let me see how I, this is going to happen so I did my research figured it out and I won't go into the long long journey of reopening my design business, going through years of graduate school, years of internship, passing two grilling exams, opening a practice. Suffice to say, it was a lot. But I have to tell you now, in retrospect, I'm 56 years old, and I look back at that. I was, I was 17 years ago now, right? Almost two, deca two decades ago. Mm -hmm. I look back on that, and it's so crazy when I look at it, Joe, because I see the dominoes just falling. It was actually so, such a... There, it was so smooth. I had a beautiful internship, wonderful supervisors, a, a filled practice. It just felt like there was, it was just seamless in that way. And I absolutely love the work. And as you know, I do a lot of coaching for therapists as well. And I've always done that, by the way, mentoring and coaching in any profession I've been in, whether it's an executive profession, whether it's, you know, when I worked for corporate America, when I was a hairstylist. And so I do that now. So there you go, my friend, the long wow. and winding road to where I am currently. <laughs> Wow, what a fantastic story. I loved that. Um, I love sharing that journey. I was picturing you <laughs> as, as a 17 year old Mario right through to now. And Did you picture me with a mohawk? Because my 17 year old oh. self had a mohawk. No, a I couldn't. Big blue mohawk. <laughs> That, that one I didn't get, but I did get the white ponytail with the red ribbon yes, and the high yes. top sneakers. That, that one's going to take a while to be unetched. <laughs> and so funny. You, you've, you've touched on something that I think is in, incredibly important that I think is going to be a, a big theme for a lot of people reading this book. And that's the difference between having a job and having a calling. And yes. it's, it's, it's something that I share. Your, that for me, I, I have tried to kill my 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 practice, um, it won't die. I am called to do it. The thing has to exist for reasons that are bigger than me. That's how I know I'm, I'm called to it. So I'm, I'm intrigued given your history and how you started. It was more out of necessity than a decision to one day become an entrepreneur, which to be honest is how much most people start. But now that you've got some history behind you, what is your definition? Do you have a definition of, of what an entrepreneur is? I think that's a, 
such a good question, Joe. Let me think about that for a second. So what is an entrepreneur? Yeah. So to me, I can, you know, only speak out of my heart and my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so let me, let me, yeah, break that down a little bit. I, in two ways. One, when I'm working with my coaching clients, by and large, my coaching clients are other therapists. And I work, like you, with, with other mm -hmm. therapists all around the world, right? So I have, you know, therapists in Canada and the U.S. and the U.K. and, you know, a couple in Australia. And, and what, I, what, I, what I know now, after 10 years of supporting therapists and coaching, what I know is I can teach people tools, I can teach them programs, I can teach them systems, I can teach them how to write a book, how to give a speech, how to sell an online course, I can teach them, you know, some modalities, I can even help them with confidence building and answer questions, but I cannot teach somebody the art of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That can be encouraged and that can be supported and that can be teased out and loved on, but I cannot teach that. A person has to dig deep and answer that question for themselves. So for anyone reading your book or listening to us right now, trust me when I say that if you are struggling to define that for yourself, trust that you have that answer inside of what, entre what an entrepreneur means to you. To me, what it means is to provide services and um, it, it really is to provide services and products to other human beings and other colleagues, right, and other clients, right, with joy, with um, ethics, with honesty and with integrity, it's to have really good boundaries around your time and to be able to take regular self-care, which I didn't always, I, I haven't always done a good job with, but I'm getting better, you know, each year. Um, but I really think at the core of what it means to be an entrepreneur to me, more than anything, Joe, is to be able to honor my gifts and talents that my God-given inherent gifts and talents to do the things that I absolutely love to do, to work with the people that I love to work with, to be able to make my own schedule, and to be able to say no, and let my no be no, and yes, and let my yes be yes, and to um, enjoy the fruits of my labor. To, it, it really, to me, defines creativity for me. I have worked for other people, and I work well on a team, and I, and I work well for other people. I'm generally liked as an employee, but it is not my happy place to go. Mm. I'm definitely a queen bee. I know that about myself. I'm an alpha female, and I do best when I can steer my own ship, even when that ship gets into rocky surf, mm -hmm. I can learn from those storms. So that's what it means to me. Oh, that's powerful. I, you, again, you've spoken into all of the facets of um, being an entrepreneur. I think one of the greatest opportunities that entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur offers us these days, even if we don't fall into some traditional classification, is it allows us to integrate our clinical work with our self-care, with the way we want to do work. And like you've so beautifully said, allows you to honor yourself through your gifts and, and honor your clients. Mm -hmm. um, that's a long definition, but that's a that's a one I appreciate a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe. I, I I like that. Thanks so much for honoring that. I've never actually really. I really appreciate the question so much. I've never 
been asked that question before, surprisingly, mm -hmm. and I've never really contemplated deeply what that answer would be for me. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. It's a gift. My, my pleasure. I think it's important that we think about it because there's much misinformation there's much mis expectation and we live in a world where if we're not being entrepreneurial whatever that looks like on instagram then we're a failure and i really want to speak into that because that serves nobody <clears throat> but we digress to my little soapbox not the plan oh and we and we can digress <laughs> to that soapbox anytime and i stand with you on that that these ideas one of my favorite things that i say to clients you know especially clients that are maybe that have waited, you know, a little bit of time to work with me in a coaching capacity. Mm -hmm. And they say, whatever kind, you know, affirmations they're saying, and oh, I, maybe they feel a little intimidated in working with me. I calm them and let them know we all start somewhere. Yes. All of us. And when I was new to therapy, I was new to therapy. You know, yes, I had built other practices, but each business, whether it was an interior design or my hairstylist business or this particular, you know, clinical and coaching business, each one feels very different. It's like a different child. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we all start somewhere in that. And to think that we've got it all figured out or we're somehow leveled up or better than because maybe, you know, somebody, I've won an award or, you know, somebody's published a book or whatever the thing is, you know, eh, whatever. It's, you know, I love the words of Maya Angelou, you know, the great poet, the great author, Maya Angelou, who said, people will forget what you said, and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And those are really powerful words. And I remember reading those words when I was much, much younger and writing those down in a notebook and really reflecting on that. And, you know, I call this journey, you know, a journey of angels and assholes, you know, and I can reflect back on those angels and mentors and supporters in my own life, people who really were wind under my wings and encouraged me and I trusted and they had my back and their words and behaviors match. And then there have been the assholes, those people who, are for whatever their trauma is, whatever their own challenges are, and certainly we all have challenges, nobody's exempt, but you know, we're envious or unkind or gossipy or dishonest, you mm -hmm. know, and I've learned just as much from the assholes as I have from the angels, Joe. Yes, yes, we do learn. <laughs> <laughs> We do learn. Sometimes in the moment it's not very pleasant, but we do learn. Indeed. Indeed. So here's an here's an interesting question for you, because you've got some history in the in the um, therapy world now. It's not like this is new. What opportunities does entrepreneurial thinking now afford us as health professionals that weren't around, say, 20 years ago? What have you seen emerge that you've gone, wow, that's really cool? Oh, yeah, right. So much good stuff. Yeah. So I've been doing this for a while. And I would say probably the biggest really neat thing that I've been enjoying lately is telemental health mm -hmm. um, from a clinical perspective, right? It's so it's and I, I live in, you know, Los Angeles County, and Los Angeles is a metropolis. I mean, it's huge. And you know, I have clients that would drive to my therapy practice. Sometimes it would take them two hours to get there, Joe. Mm. I mean, ridiculous amount of traffic and all of that. It's quite congested here. So I love the fact that we now have these wonderful HIPAA compliant um, platforms where we can provide clinical services and therapy services for hurting people. Mm. And 
and people who are busy in their professions, busy mommies or people who are struggling with illnesses, like in your, the, your line of work, you help people who are in chronic pain. And, you know, these are people sometimes sitting in two hours of traffic is not even an option. No. So I love, I love that. Um, that's been one of the biggest things that I've seen um, emerge. And I'm so glad our profession is meeting that. There was this time, I think, where that was seen as something that was not okay. And that is yeah. changing now. And I'm very proud, actually, Joe, that I'm on the cutting edge of some of those changes and doing the research and getting out there and helping other clinicians establish these um, distance practices and do so ethically and legally. That makes me very happy in so many ways. Um, and not just for us clinicians, because, you know, it cuts down on our overhead, and it's more convenient for us. Um, but also for people who just couldn't be reached, you know, otherwise yes. with therapy, yes. it's wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, so I love that. And I just love also, um, I started about 10, or maybe 10 or 12 years ago doing walk talk therapy with my clinical patients. And that is something that's really catching on like wildfire and at the time I think I might have been one of two people in Los Angeles County doing walk talk therapy and I'm so proud to see other colleagues and other people not just in the U.S. but around the world providing the service to help clients get out there mm. and do walk talk therapy and mm. you know um, and and have that opportunity to um, to experience that so yeah, I, I think I think as an entrepreneur, when you have that mindset of, let me think about a creative way of supporting people in need of healing, what is available to me? Of course, you know, within, within our legal and ethical boundaries, but how can I support that person, right? Is it a course that I can sell online? Um, I just wrote a book, uh, an ebook this time around. It's an ebook. Thinking about that woman... Uh, or man who has it's late at night and they've just found out that their significant other has been cheating on them or they've just found out that their husband or wife is a porn addict or is sexually compulsive and has been having sex with prostitutes or whatever it is and they are shattered and they are traumatized and it is midnight and they are crying and they have a migraine and they don't know what to do with themselves what are their next steps They've mm -hmm. never been to a therapist. They didn't see this coming. They're 45 years old. Divorcing isn't an option at this point in time. They're not working. They haven't been working mm -hmm. since their 20s, and they're desperate. They don't know where to go. What do they do? Mm -hmm. And they live somewhere that's out of my state or out of the country. What do they do? And so I wrote that ebook, Healing Betrayal, with that woman or man in mind who's searching the internet, scared to death, crying her eyes out, so they could download this very affordable roadmap and be able to very quickly, these are the steps that you need to take. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Here's an exercise. Here's this. Fill that out. There you go. Here's all of these resources. So that if they poured over that the next day, I think it's 50 pages, then they know they have this light at, they have a light you know, that they can follow. So when I think about the resources that are available to hurting people out there through the really good work that you're doing mm. and your staff is doing, Joe, the good work that my fellow colleagues mm. are doing in the world and how we can offer and provide that, I mean, 
come on, it's, it's crazy good, right? It is crazy good. And I love this discussion around accessibility because to me, that's what it is. It's like you said earlier, making therapy accessible to people who wouldn't have otherwise been able to get, get the healing. We do a lot of work. We're based in Sydney, uh, which is a, probably not a metropolis, but it's a large city. It's a very large city, yeah. In a large, in, but we have people who live in rural and remote parts of Australia who the only time they get to see a doctor is when one flies in. But mm-hmm. similarly to you, I got quickly onto why can't we be talking to these people? It started with the good old-fashioned telephone and then, you know, internet rolled out. Now we're helping these people all over the country, sometimes who've never seen a doctor, be able to take back control of their health, all because I was quick to be able to go, hey, there's no reason why we can't talk to you. You don't have to come and see me. You don't have to experience that same room with me to get some benefit from this. So. One of the things that's come clear for me, Mari, is that you have a different way of thinking about things. Not, not all clinicians think like this. And your, your thinking is, what could I do as opposed to what can't I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And th- there's no judgment in saying that, please, because we are risk managers largely. Yes. Health professionals, we're always about managing risk. So asking that question, what can't I do or should I not do or how am I going to keep this person safe is legitimate and it's necessary and it's professional. Yes. But the, 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 when we start tipping over into the entrepreneurial mindset of being a clinician, it's always about, well, what could I do? If money, time, space, energy was no object, what's a possibility here? And, and that's what I've seen the theme for what you've been doing come through so clearly. Uh, uh, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate that reflection. And I, I, I think I, I think I agree with that by and large. I, the way that I, the lens that I tend to look through is what are the legal and ethical absolute non-negotiable rules that I have to operate within, you know, or, or not even that I have to, that I, that I would gladly operate within. For, mm. So for example, I would never date a clinical client, mm. right? That would never, mm. ever happen. Not only is it illegal and unethical, it's just something I wouldn't do even if it mm. weren't legal and unethical. Mm. I would never accept a car from a, a wealthy client who that happened one time, the client after the termination of therapy went out and said, well, there you go. And there was a car with a big red bow. <laughs> sitting wow. in the, and I said, okay, oh. so therapy is going to continue for a little while a little <laughs> longer. You've got a little bit of work to do. In fact you do. And thank you, but no, thank you. I can't accept mm. that. So all mm. of those kinds of things, you know, these are, these are laws and ethics that by and large make sense and they are to protect the consumer and mm-hmm. they need to be in place. Um, and they make sense to me certainly. So I always want to know, you know, I want to make sure that I have my ducks in a row when it comes to my law and ethics. And mm-hmm. part of ethics is treating people around me, my fellow colleagues, not only my, my clients, not just my coaching clients and not just my clinical clients, but treating my colleagues right? Respectfully and kindly and supportively. To me, (sighs) that is ethical right there. I want to do that. I want to be a colleague that my other colleagues think about, and and I'm sure not everybody does, but at least, you know, most of them, I hope, think about, and and I put a smile on their face, Mm. and they think, you know what? I can trust Mari. 
she's consistent and predictable. Her words and behaviors match. When she says she's going to show up, she does, or there's a good reason why she can't. I can trust that when I'm not in her presence, she's speaking and thinking good thoughts of me, or at least extending me the benefit of the doubt and giving me second and third chances if I've cross the line you know mm -hmm. I, I want to be that person because that feels like one what I'm called to do how I'm knit together and I don't know it just feels good not to be an asshole yes yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yes yeah. it does absolutely and I think that's a real challenge in that because how many clinicians actually think about ethical and professional behavior towards colleagues or staff or suppliers mm -hmm. We're very quick to put the rules up and, and almost shame each other around that's unprofessional or that's unethical. Yes. But um, I've, I've worked for some health professionals who have treated me in ways that if I was a client would be illegal. Yes. Yes. Um, oh my gosh, Joe. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I know. We no. are, I, I know both of our Mohawks are going up right now. With yeah. that, but, but it's really true. You know, the way that, you know, again, it goes back to that saying about people will remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so interesting to observe, right? I, 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 the good manners that I was taught, you know, growing up were, um, that, you know, treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And you don't always have to point out bad behavior, quote unquote, bad behavior, what I call traumatic behavior, you know, your trauma is showing and other people. But I'm a lady, I may observe that in you. And I may see that in you. But at my core, I'm a lady, a lady who doesn't mind an F-bomb sometimes, but I, I st I'm not going to point that out to you necessarily. I may confront you on that. I may state, hey, this hurt my feelings or that didn't feel good. Can we talk it through and repair this rupture? But I am going to, you know, extend the benefit of doubt and share my thoughts about it and own what I'm feeling, check in with the other person and try and work through that, you know. But unfortunately, others not there. It depends on where that other person is at. Some people, some colleagues can do that well and own their stuff. And I've certainly had to own my stuff in the mm. past. And some people just aren't there yet in their journey and their evolution. And I certainly am a work in progress. Mm. I'm still evolving. I'm still healing. I'm still moving forward in my own evolution. I don't always get it right. But really what makes me the saddest of all, Joe, I think that I was so surprised to see in this clinical profession. I don't know. I guess just naively I thought, oh, therapists, there's not going to be any type of that kind of icky behavior with therapists. Oh, my God. I had yeah. no idea. But anyway, you know, I think the thing that's the saddest to me is when I see therapists sort of, you know, when they sort of, they will flock to someone. I've been there before. I know you've been there before, mm -hmm. Joe. And then as soon as they get what they need, it's like the mass slips and this other person emerges. And that is very sorrowful to me. That to me, more than anything, is the definition of scarcity mentality. Oh, yes. That a person has to manipulate somebody that they perceive as a leader in order to get what they need. And the minute those needs are met or the leader can no longer support them in some particular way or they've gotten what they needed, then they're the mass slips and they are off to the next thing that they have to person, place, or thing that they have to manipulate. And, you know, I've been around a long time. I can see that kind of stuff coming a mile away. 
but it's still is so sad when I don't on those rare occasions and that person really shows their true colors and that is that's disappointing to me more so not just for me but more so I feel sad for that other human being Joe because it tells me there has to be so much trauma there and mm. here they are a wounded healer trying to help other people heal but they're not tending to their own wounds and they're operating in this scarcity mentality where they have to manipulate to to do something in their life so i wish that would change and i hope i hope i hope that message can be heard we need to heal that we do need to heal that and i think that you people like you and i have a responsibility to be talking about this and there's no yeah. pressure in that statement but mm -hmm. if if there is uh, wisdom that's got to come from us who have been around for a while and noticing the way that this behavior is coming out. Um, if we don't stand up and say anything, then nothing's going to change. But what's going to happen is that we will stop other people from being healed. And I guess at, the, at my core, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Yes. No, I think we share that, that same core belief that it really isn't. And um, and, and so here we are, and we are talking about it. We're shedding light, you know, what stays in the darkness stays dark. You bring it out to the light and hope we, we can shed it. And this needs to be a non-shaming message, right, Joe? It's not about shaming. If somebody is listening to this and they find themselves or they're, they're feeling like, oh gosh, you know, I could have done this or that better. What I always say, especially to my clinical clients is it's never too late to set a boundary and it's never too late to turn back and give somebody an apology and take ownership. It's never too late to set a boundary. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who's crossing boundaries, maybe it's a adult daughter and she's got a domineering elderly mother, it's never too late to set boundaries in your life. You can do that respectfully and politely and with love. And if you're somebody who stomped over somebody's boundaries or treated somebody unkindly or manipulated or done whatever, then it's never too late, even if it's 20 years ago, to go back and approach that person. It's scary, you know, but you can go back and say, you know what, I screwed up and I didn't, I, I didn't know how to do that better then, but I'm trying to make it better now. And, and also, actually, it's never too late to accept an apology too, oh, nice. right? Right. It's never too late to also accept that apology and say, you know what, that took a lot of courage to circle back and say that. And, and I accept, if I can, I accept your apology and I am willing to have you rebuild trust with me. And is there anything that I need to take ownership of? What did I contribute to that misunderstanding? What can I do to make this better? What, what do we need to do here? Even if we're just parting company, you know, for good on our life journeys and we don't, we don't see each other again after this conversation, what, can I, what gift can I leave you with so that you feel better and that we've repaired this in some way? And I don't know, isn't that kind of what we're called to do, you know? Uh, yes. Help yes. each other out a little, right? Hmm. There's nothing wrong with being kind. Nope. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to change the direction a little bit now. Let's I do it. Yeah. So this is the last formal question that I have. So okay. I'm interested to know what the number one thing would be that you would like to say to encourage any health professional who wants to be a successful clinician and entrepreneur. What, what do you think they need to hear from people like us or in particular from you? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, okay. So I want to take this question to heart. 
Um, okay, so first of all, you lovely human being listening to this, reading this right now, um, please trust your gifts. Trust your gifts. You know, find that tribe of people who will be the wind under your wings, who will have your back, who will celebrate the winds, who will help you, uh, you know, when you fall on your knees and we all fall down, right, Show You do, yep. I do. Oh, my gosh. We stumble, <laughs> we fall, we make mistakes, we learn, we grow, right? Um, understand that that you have a lot to offer this world. And even if somebody wrote, you know, um, five other books, right, uh, on the same topic that you want to write a book on, your vision will be fresh and unique, and your audience will need to read the words that you've written. Um, even if somebody, even if there's 10 therapists around you, or 10 healing professionals around you, who have, um, for example, um, who are specializing in the same thing, Nobody can bring the art into the healing work that you can bring into it. So trust your gifts. What you have to offer is so important. And please do believe that. And guess what? We all start somewhere. We're all on a learning curve, just at a different level of learning. I'm always learning. You're always learning, Joe, right? Yep. And so we're all, you know, we're all on this learning curve. And, um, and I learn from people all the time. I hope I teach people good stuff and what you have to teach others is important as well um, and then don't be afraid to a lot of times I will hear from people that they're well I'm just not an organized person or I'm just not I'm just not fill in the blank right whatever that mm -hmm. is trust that you actually are much more than you think that you really can build that foundation you can become organized and hey if you struggle in a particular area, you know, if you are inherently disorganized, I just happen to be inherently organized, but if you are somebody who's, you know, inherently disorganized, then hire somebody, you know, mm -hmm. make enough money to hire somebody to, or to find somebody who can help you with those particular tasks. And by the way, if you don't like the work that you do, don't do it for five more flippin' minutes. Oh, all the hallelujahs. Yes, all the hallelujahs, right? Please don't do that for five more flipping minutes. If you're working yeah. for an agency, for a boss, for whoever, I get that we need money. I mm. pay my own mortgage, mm. my own bills. I don't rely on anybody for that. I have my whole life. I get it. You can't just quit a job, but please give yourself a permission slip to find something else and trust that you will manifest that, that God is in the details or your higher power is, and that door will open for you. But do not while away your life working at a job, doing something that you don't like. And even if it's being a therapist and you don't like it yeah. or a healing professional, yeah. find something else. If you want to be a stand-up comedian, go for it. The minute I don't like doing the work that I do, Joe, the very minute, guess what? I'm out of here. I, I really mean that. And I'm on to the next adventure. Maybe that'll be a clothing designer. Maybe that'll be an actor on a stage. Maybe it'll be a writer in the woods. I don't know. But the minute I'm done with this, I'm done. Yeah. And I've always treated my professions like that. Keep it interesting. Keep it fresh. Trust that you can do it. All that old scripting that tells you you can't. Eh, bunch of malarkey. Yeah, we, we don't live in a day and age where we are surviving minute to minute. Most of us are in an opportunity where we can thrive. And we have a responsibility to do that, to raise <laughs> to, to raise the standard of living for everybody. Anywho, um, I want to say a massive, massive thank you. You have 
given me so much wisdom and your time and your energy as always is greatly appreciated. There's, there's quite a few things that have stood out for me in this interview today. I, I keep coming back to what you said earlier on about knowing that this is a calling. Um, there's, it's, I just love that. So people who feel just this sense in their inner being that this is what I'm meant to do. There's incredible peace that comes from that. And coming back to the sense that being entrepreneurial and a clinician allows you to honor yourself and honor your clients. And then in staying in that space, it, it allows you to continue to grow and be curious, but then also have self-compassion, but compassion for your colleagues, but most of all contribute to the healing that needs to be done from, from people that you're best able to help heal. For me, that's the essence of what I'm trying to help people understand is that when we embrace this way of thinking then we can get all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And the only person that's going to make that happen for us is us. That yes. is, that's, that's where it comes down to. Yes. So if people would like to get in touch with you and learn more about you and your businesses, how, how do they do that? How's the best way to get in touch with you? Okay. So the best way is to uh, go to my website. Um, and the website is called the counselorscoach.com thecounselorscoach.com and you can there's all kinds of great blogs and freebies and fun things that we do over there um, if you'd like to contact me via email you can do that at my name mari m-a-r-i at thecounselorscoach.com Fantastic, Mari. And I can assure you that Mari's resources are excellently presented, well thought out, and will serve you incredibly well. How do I know? Because I have used them. How do I know? Because I recommend them. <laughs> so I'm, that's not a shameless plug. That's an actual, if you want to be resourced well, please use Mari's resources. So thank you again, Mari. I am looking forward to this book coming out and for this information going wider than just this interview between the two of us today. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. And I just really want to give a shout out to you as well. I love your spirit in the world. Um, I love what you bring to your work. I love that your words and behaviors match, Joe, and that you really personify um, integrity with colleagues and support and just goodness. And you're just a really good human being and a good woman. And I enjoy our sense of humor and our shared connection. And I'm a big fan and so grateful um, your, for your work and for your resources. Will you tell me the name of your little book again? I'm so sorry. Remind me that beautiful little book. With the, oh, the book the, of evidence. The oh book of evidence. my gosh. Are you kidding me? I love that book of evidence so much. And I just think it is one of really just such a gift. Really, you are just such a gift. So thank you for all that you do as well. And I just thoroughly enjoyed this time with you. Hello, it's Joe here. Thanks for listening to this interview today. I trust you're enjoying them. I trust you're learning from these interviews. It was such a privilege for me to be able to conduct them. And I have learned so much um, as I've prepared for creating the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician. If you're looking for more information or how to purchase a copy of the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, head on over to joemuirhead.com forward slash book.